So, the other day, I realized no one's really talking about the national debt crisis we're in. I mean, it's well on its way to $23 trillion. So I was thinking, why don't we sell Montana to Canada? Mont Canada. There's like 12 people in that state. Who cares what they think? It's cold there. Get rid of it. This is Solving Problems and Starting New Ones, a podcast show that tries to be an incubator of great ideas and solutions. Also, a place to challenge popular wisdom. Today, we're talking about the vaping paranoia epidemic crisis of 2019 and talking about debating in politics. And you'll get all this from a guy on the street perspective. But before we begin, if you like the show, I got to have you leave a five-star review only on the Apple iTunes app. Also, there's a site called the YouTube. Go on over to that site, hit the subscribe button to our channel. So we look cool. And lastly, like and follow us on Podbean, Spotify, Facebook, Instagram, MySpace, Friendster. Find us on, a, on an online chat room through AOL. We're bringing it all back, people. We're still working on our live event. People are asking where and when, and I'm here to update you. I haven't a clue. So email me at nick at solvingproblemsandstartingnewones.com if you're interested in learning more as I learn more. Also, message me if you got any issues you'd like for me to take a crack at. All right. Let's talk about the issues behind vaping and what we can do about it. We'll start off with a little bit of history. Vaping, or e-cigarettes, was created in 2003 by a young millennial who couldn't handle real cigarettes. He also didn't enjoy having his man buns smell like smoke, so he developed cotton candy and strawberry blast flavors e-cigarettes. Because, let's face it, he was never taught to be an adult. He then started a rumor claiming that e-cigs are a healthy alternative to cigarettes and may help people quit smoking. Also proving that this generation can take anything cool and wussify the shit out of it. In recent days, there's been an epidemic of young people getting lung infections. Those recent investigations have led some to believe e-cigs may be the cause. But many point out that using black market THC cartridges may be the cause. So let's stop for a minute and think about this. Say you're between the ages of 14 and 17. You're in the hospital with a lung infection from a black market THC cartridge. And now imagine you're surrounded by a doctor, an investigator, mom, dad. Are you going to tell all them that you were smoking THC oil that you bought off the black market? Or do you tell them you found a jewel on the ground on your way to help the homeless and you only took one puff and now you're in the hospital? Remember, folks, not all liars are children, but all children are liars. So this muddies up the findings and some investigators admit it's troubling to get straight answers from kids. So this raises the question of, what do we do with these little liars? You're really only left with two fundamental options. Beat these kids half to death one time or two times. It's your call, America. Now, currently in Massachusetts, there is a four-month ban on the sales of vape products and consequently a four-month increase in sales for vape shops in all the, all the surrounding states. Also, an increase in sales in, you guessed it, black market vaping products. Proving once again, when it comes to solutions, the government always sends their best. Now, a lot of people are pointing out the hypocrisy of allowing regular cigarettes on the shelf, but taking away e-cigarettes. Well, there's a difference. It seems, though maybe, you, maybe it doesn't seem accurate to you, that e-cigs are putting people in the hospital or killing people in a couple of years. Whereas cigarettes kill you when you're older. And there's lots of things that can kill you when you're older. I'm not just saying that because 90% of our show is owned by a joint venture of Philip Morris and Laramine Cigarettes, 
But this does bring up the solution for all these problems. Smoke regular cigarettes. So you may end up looking 10 years older than you are. So what if your teeth look like a couple of rows of corn on the cob? And I know what you're thinking, doesn't cigarettes take years off your life? Well, yes, but those are crappy years anyway, so don't worry about it. So smoke up. Live like a cowboy. It'll make you cool and keep you thin. Okay, next, next up is something that actually matters, debate in politics. But before we get to that, we got to take a quick break. Hey, everyone. This is boxing heavyweight champion Mike Tyson. And I'm here to tell you about my new 24-hour energy drink. It's stupendous. It's impenetrable. It's impressionable. It's a lot. Hey, I'll make you drink this drink till you love me. Now, Mike Tyson, what goes great with Mike Tyson's 24-hour energy drink? Cigarettes, of course. Mmm, cigarettes. Now, you're not just saying that because Philip Morris owns 50% of your company, are you? Hell no! I'll punch you in the mouth just for asking me that. Okay. Try Mike Tyson's 24-hour energy drink today. Side effects include anger management classes and sleepiness. Shut up! All right, right now we're going to talk about yet another way we're getting screwed with this segment called Debate in Politics. This is a continuation of money and corruption in politics, which we covered in episode 1-4. We're going to cover the history, what the problems are, and what are the solutions for them. We're also going to focus quite a bit on the problems for third-party candidates. So I'll start off by saying if you were to look up what was the first televised presidential debate, it would come up Kennedy-Nixon, 1960. Actually, though, it was four years earlier, and it wasn't two men debating, it was two women. Eleanor Roosevelt and Margaret Chase Smith being surrogates for President Eisenhower and challenger uh, Adelaide Stevenson. So there's a little bit of a fun fact for the ladies. Eisenhower was offered to debate by the networks, but even he knew he had a tendency to chew up the English language and spit it out and call it a sentence. So he declined to avoid the embarrassment. Too bad Nixon didn't go the Eisenhower route because when he went on to take on uh, JFK in 1960, he came out visibly sweating, unshaven, declined makeup, and completely unprepared. Kennedy, on the other hand, on the other hand, looked clean, confident. He looked like a person ready to lead a country. And if you have a moment to watch the, the debate, it really is an awkward piece of video. So Kennedy went on to win the election, and most people would credit the debate with the reason why he won. There were 66 million people watching that debate, almost half the country at the time. Due to the chicken shit nature of politicians, there wasn't another debate until 76 with uh, Gerald Ford and Jimmy Carter. Nobody during those 16 years wanted to really risk embarrassing themselves like Nixon. The 76 debate was sponsored by the League of Women Voters. Now I'm going to pull a thread from this story and tell you about the League. In 1920, just months before Congress ratified the 19th Amendment and awarded women the right to vote, suffrage Carrie Chapman Catt founded the League of Women Voters. The League dedicated itself to inspiring the 20 million adult women who had long been told that voting was unladylike to participate in the political process. One of the League's major projects was to host the candidate, candidate debates which had been missing from national political discourse at that time since uh, 1860. By 1922, the League had sponsored senatorial debates in Ohio and Indiana. When it began sponsoring presidential debates in 76, 
The league was motivated by the same commitment to civic education and voter turnout. In 86, Grant P. Thompson, then executive director of the league, explained, It sounds old-fashioned, but we sponsor debates because we believe in them. In many ways, the League of Women Voters stands for good, old-fashioned values, the power of the informed voter. That looks pretty square in a society run by prepackaged 30-second commercials, but it's something in our experience people have valued. Public opinion polls gave the League one of the highest credibility ratings of any organization. The League demonstrated its commitment to public interest at the negotiating table. When meeting with campaign officials, the League always brought a team of experts to negotiate everything from format to the distribution of tickets. Lee Hanna, producer of the 1980 League-sponsored presidential debates, said, Most important is to prevent the candidates in advance from being allowed to make decisions about the agenda of the debates, how many there would be, under what circumstances, what the subject matter should be, and what the format is. Once they are involved, what we end up with is something that evolves out of compromise. Under league sponsorship, the league made sure to include popular third-party and independent candidates. They set the rules. They would pick the dates and say, take it or leave it. They would pick the panel and say, take it or leave it. They would pick the format and say, take it or leave it. It was their way, and that's it. Election after election, the league worked on behalf of the American people and the process infuriated the major parties. I'll give, uh, I'll give you a quick story on how they handled a situation with Jimmy Carter. The league invited independent candidate John B. Anderson to participate in the first 1980s uh, presidential debate. President Jimmy Carter, however, refused to debate Anderson, who was expected to attract moderates that would otherwise vote for Carter. The president publicly degraded Anderson to keep him out of the debates. His quote was, I believe John Anderson, as far as a presidential candidate, is primarily a creation of the press. But the league insisted that Anderson be included if he managed to draw 15% in the polls. The league president at the time said that if Jimmy Carter disagreed with the arrangements, we would go ahead with just two people. So, on September 21st, 1980, the league hosted a presidential debate between John B. Anderson and Republican nominee Ronald Reagan that attracted over 55 million viewers. Nothing demonstrates the significance of nonpartisanship more than the league's willingness, despite enormous political opposition, to host a presidential debate without the president. The league had even planned to place an empty chair on the stage to illustrate Carter's cowardice, but the lawyers advised against it. Johnny Carson, then host of The Tonight Show, said, What bothers me is, suppose the chair wins. Now, as great as that is, this, among other things, would lead to the end of their sponsorship of presidential debates. So, a new sponsorship took, took over in uh, 1988. It was called the Commission of Presidential Debates, CPD. They now currently sponsor the, the uh, debates. And just to clarify the job of the sponsor, it's really two important things who debates, and how the debates will be structured. So what's the problem with the CPD? Well, in 88, it was run by Frank Fahrenkamp and Paul G. Kirk Jr., who are the former heads of the Republican National Committee and the Democratic National Committee, respectively. Fahrenkamp, who served as the party's chair longer than any other Republican in the 20th century, and Kirk, who once served as chief political assistant to Democratic Senator Ted Kennedy, they created the CPD. Plus, the board members are all former Democrats and Republicans, and of course, 
corporate billionaires. So, does this help a third-party candidate? Well, let's give a quote from David Norcross, former vice chairman of the CPD, who said this about a third-party candidate in the 90s. I don't know whether Ralph Nader had a retarded development somewhere or what, but he doesn't understand that corporations, corporations are nothing more but people who employ people. That's why you don't need them in the debates. End quote. The general counsel of the Federal Election Commission, Lawrence Noble, in 1997, had accused the CPD of, quote, violating federal debate regulations at the expense of public interest and recommended a full-blown investigation. The CPD is not the honorable institution it claims to be. In fact, the CPD is corporate-funded, a bipartisan cartel that secretly awards control of the presidential debates to Republicans and Democrats, perpetuating the domination of a two-party system and restricting subject matters of political discourse. Through the CPD, the Republican and Democratic candidates exclude third-party candidates, eliminate challenging debate formats, and avoid addressing many important national issues. The presidential debates become exchanges of sound bites rather than exchanges of ideas. The CPD represents the Republican and Democratic nominees, not the American people. This leads to another problem that needs to be pointed out. How do they pay for the debates? Corporate contributions, of course. AT&T, Anheuser-Busch, Sprint, IBM, U.S. Airways, uh, Sara Lee Corporation, Ford Motor Group, Hallmark, and of course my friends at the Philip Morris Company have all contributed to the debates at one time or another. Unlike political action committees and soft money contributions, donations to the CPD are tax deductible, which means taxpayers are subsidizing the exclusion of popular candidates, challenging formats, and important issues from the presidential debates. Unlike contributions to political parties and conventions, which must be disclosed to the public, donations to the CPD can be kept private. Unlike contributions to a candidate or their party, a single donation to the CPD hits two birds with one stone. The vice president of Anheuser-Busch said spending money to sponsor the debates is a good way to do it because you don't have to choose sides. Another fun fact, there was a Budweiser tent outside the presidential debates in 2000. Now, corporate contributions to the CPD are one of a kind. No other corporate donation simultaneously strengthens both major party candidates, directly prevents ideas from entering the collective voter consciousness, and result in tax subsidies for donor corporations. When Farenkopf was asked if there's anything wrong with beer and tobacco companies sponsoring the presidential debates, he said, Boy, you are talking to the wrong guy. I'm the guy who represents the gambling industry. Now, before, when you had the League of Women Voters who set the rules, there was integrity. Now, the CPD, the candidates, signed a memoranda of understanding. The candidates essentially picked the moderators, what questions that can't be asked, what questions should be asked, and they even get a say on the setting, the backdrops. In the 1990s, Clinton's people wanted oversized stools to sit on. Why? So when a short person like Ross Perot would sit down, he would look like a little kid. Clever stuff. Scott Reed, Bob Dole's campaign manager, explained how it worked in 1996. Quote, We told the commission what to do. We agreed with the Clinton people when we were going to talk, talk about the debates. The commission gave us their conference room, but big deal. We could have met in anybody's conference room. They were really a neutral party. Once we agreed with the Clinton team what we wanted to do on the details, we handed it to the commission and they implemented it. We told them the cities. It wasn't the cities they wanted. 
We told them the dates. It wasn't the dates they wanted. We told them the format. It wasn't the format they wanted. But their job was to implement it, execute it, perform it, and they did a good job. Now, why isn't there any public outrage over this? Well, most people, having done and having done my own research, media members as well, think that debates are paid for through the government. You'd think after all the nonsense ways they spend our taxpayer money, the debates would be paid by us. But nope, we're surrounded by idiots, folks. So the major problems are corporate funding of debates and the exclusion of third-party candidates. Now, currently, the biggest hurdle third-party candidates face is the rules the CPD created which is to get on the debate stage, you must be polling at 15% of the popular vote. Now, there's two things. First, it's a catch-22. You can't talk about what you stand for until you get enough attention. You can't get enough attention until people hear what you stand for. And second, it's also made up bullshit. Under the current laws, not rules, but laws, if you poll at 5% of the popular vote, you are able to receive public funding. So taxpayers get their money taken away to be given to someone that they will never see on the debate stage. So, solution number one. CPT rules should be lowered to 5%, seeing as there is already a law that already exists, not a rule that's being followed that was created by Democrats and Republicans. Now, I know some of you may be thinking maybe a third candidate doesn't belong on the stage because they don't have a real chance of winning. Good point. At any year of an election, there can be about 200 candidates. Here's a few I've liked through the years. Frank Barella III of the People's Revolutionary Continental Army. Curtis Czar of the Committee to Ensure Curtis Czar as Pharaoh of the Federal Government. Jack B. L. High of Americans for Hyphenated President. Billy Joe Clegg of Clegg Won't Pull Your Leg for President. Also, there's been Clay Hill of the Populist Democratic Viking Party. Caesar St. Augustine of the Get Even with the State, Federal, and Local Level Committee. Freddie Irwin Sitnik of the Messiah for President. Jeff Costa of the Crustacean Liberation Party. And, of course, Mike of Mike's Party. With that being said, you have to understand, the majority of this country isn't Democratic or Republican. It's independent. Majority of the people don't fit in with one side or the other. So people deserve options. Another bullshit thing you might hear is, when it comes to third-party candidates, is third parties steal votes from Democrats or Republicans. When I hear that, I can't think of nothing more undemocratic, closed-minded, and egotistical than that. To steal something implies ownership, and nobody owns anyone's vote. Also, as far as anyone being against the idea of third-party candidates being given a chance, let's go over a few things you might like that they have implemented or had con major contributions to over the years. The abolishment of slavery, women's suffrage, the establishment of pensions, unemployment insurance, the minimum wage, social security, child labor laws, public schools, public power, the direct election of senators, the graduated income tax, paid vacation, the 40-hour work week, higher civil service standards, the formation of labor unions, and democratic tools such as initiative, referendum, and the recall. And right now, the CPD nullifies the potential for more. So the last problem is, how do you get rid of the CPD? And for the record, people have tried. The commission is tax-exempt, but tax-exempt entities that contribute to candidates, but not all candidates, like a third-party choice, can lose their tax exemption. Sounds like something the IRS and FEC should go after them for. But they too are also operated by half Republicans and half Democrats. 
so they're just looking out for their buddies. On top of that, the CPD has been sued in every single presidential cycle, except for 2008, ever since it's been formed. So here's the solution, and it blows my mind. All they have to do is instead of renting a hall, just have the debates in D.C. They own about 400 buildings in that area. Just have it there. Right now, it costs about $5 million to put on a debate. Why? Just hash it out in D.C. Why do you have three debates in three different states? It's, it's TV. Nobody cares where you are. If you need an audience, it's D.C. It's a tourist area. You can walk right outside the White House. Have you been there? There's every person from every state and every country right there. Just grab a handful, throw them in a building, and start debating. Why do I have to do a 15-minute segment on something like this? All it would take is one candidate to say, hey, let's have one of those debates in one of these buildings we own. You don't even need to pay for security. It's D.C. There's nowhere else more secure. Jesus. So in closing, if you want to talk about voter suppression or voter fraud, you know, those things that come up every uh, four years, maybe we should talk to a Libertarian or a Green Party politicians first. All right, that's all I got for this one. We'll be back very shortly, maybe uh, probably say about two weeks. Give us a five-star rating if you're listening to us on your little iPhone. Do it every day. Make a job out of it. Follow us on Facebook. Hit the subscribe button on wherever you're listening to us so you know when new episodes are out. This was Solving Problems. And start new ones. Don't smoke.